Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode four of L on Earth. I know, as with every week, I'm surprised that we continue, but we do, and hopefully it'll continue for a long old while and I won't run out of guests just yet. This week, I'm joined by yet another fellow Cambridge student, Miss Charlotte Dargan, who is here to talk with us about... Well, there's been some big things in the news that we're going to be discussing, but on a more light-hearted note, we'll be talking about the theatre life in Cambridge, into which I know she is a big part. So, Charlotte, would you like to introduce yourself, say a bit about who you are? Of course. Um, well, hello, my name is Charlotte. Uh, I am a first year studying geography at Robinson College with Elliot. Um, yes, I do love a good bit of theatre and have been trying to keep that up at university. Well, it's lovely to have you on. Thank you, as ever, for joining us. So the first thing to start with, as ever with Cambridge students, is talking about Cambridge. We're about to finish our second term, entering our exam term in May time-ish. So it'll be very curious to see how that goes as first years doing exams in the pandemic. So how are you finding your course at the moment? Geography is something that none of our guests have done yet. It's not much I know about as a subject, either at A-level or at university. So give us a bit of an overview. Um, Well, obviously the colouring in is great, as everyone probably assumes. Um, It's really wonderful. I mean, the first year you start off, you don't get any choices in what you do. You do half physical modules, half human modules, um, but then you get some choices as to what you actually write essays on in the exam. Uh, we also have some coursework to write over this vacation, so I'm not sure how much actual rest I'm going to get, but it's a really enjoyable course. Um, yeah. So I'm assuming you did geography at A-level then as well. What was your picture of A-levels to take you here? Uh, I did geography, English and theatre studies, which was a posh name for drama. Um, weird combination and I don't think anyone who looked at those A-level combinations would think I would go down the geography route, but I did. My mum actually did a geography degree as well, so I'm keeping it in the family. Um, yeah. Very nice. Is geography something you want to go on to do, or are there other career paths that you're looking at and geography just happened to be a route? What was the reason for studying geography, essentially? Well, much like I'd say my GCSE and my A-level choices, I didn't really have an ultimate goal in mind when I picked my degree. I think I just picked what I was enjoying the most at the time. I with my A-levels, I originally thought I was going to go and do an English degree or maybe English and drama because I was the, like the drama kid at school. But I got to about March of my lower sixth and realised very quickly that I actually hated English A-level. Um, so I kind of then took like the end of my lower sixth to go, well, what do I actually want to do? Do I want to pursue drama? Do I want to do this? But then all of a sudden I was like, geography is the thing that actually interests me the most of these three subjects. And whilst I like drama, I don't think I want a full career in it. I think I'd much rather keep it as the extracurricular side so I was like let's go for geography and here we are it's certainly something to be able to say you didn't even know what degree you were going to be doing and you ended up at Cambridge of all places how was that was that always where you were going to apply no matter what degree you did or was it just sort of a may as well how how did you end up applying to our dear university establishment it was very much a may as well and I really wobbled towards the end of my lower sixth because obviously I wasn't I'd even really just decided what my actual degree subject was going to be. Um, but my mum sat me down and went, put it this way, if you didn't apply, would you regret it? And I, the answer was yes. So I applied, I gave it a go, and it was 
stressful. I think everyone could agree the admissions process is rather stressful. But I think when it got to that January day, I was very much braced and accepting a rejection. So to actually get in was very like, I really wasn't expecting that. Um, But for me, what firmed that like, this is definitely what I want to do was when I missed my grades due to the algorithm back in August. And the minute I got my email, finding out my grades saying that you've been accepted to Lancaster University, which is my insurance choice, I knew I wasn't going to be happy there. So yeah, that's how I decided all of that. Well, I was about to ask, it's, it seems inevitable to always have to ask, were you happy about the A-level results? But it sounds like, I, I don't know, do you think you would have got better results if you'd done the exams or were you happy to end up eventually getting your predicted grades or how did that shape out? Because as you've said, getting that email at first saying you've got your insurance is good, but it's also a bit of a kick to the teeth. So that must've been a stressful time. Yeah, I mean, my insurance was very much a, these are worst case grades. I can't see myself doing any worse at these grades. And it really was a kick in the teeth because part of me saw it coming. I did not sleep that night before. My parents were like, you have nothing to worry about. When I told them that one of my grades had been downgraded, they literally were like, you're joking. So it was really quite terrible. And I think, I think the grades I got in the end were probably what I would have got. They were my predicted grades. But to have it taken away from you was something I would never want to repeat and I really do pity these year six forms because it sounds like even more of a shambles this year than it was last year. I guess eventually though getting your acceptance was certainly positive and is where you are now. I know that you came to Cambridge with a couple of friends from your school, right? Our dear friend, Justin Cronk, who <laughs> his name has been mentioned on the podcast before. He remains elusive for now. Um, but that must have made things, because I'm sort of the only one of my close friends who got into Cambridge. I know some people, but you guys seem to arrive quite tight in a group. Was that sort of always the case or was it more you came to Cambridge and got to know each other? How did that sort of affect settling in? It was so, so nice to have someone you knew in college because obviously it just means that if you're struggling, you can always look out for someone. But Justin and I actually weren't hugely close in school. We came from different groups of friends. I think a lot of Justin's group of friends are in Cambridge, just not at the same college, whereas most of my group of friends chose to take gap years or applied to different universities, but just didn't end up at Cambridge. But because we're at the same college, because we spend so much time together, we've become really good friends. And I'm really thankful for that. Well, that's got to be nice to have. He is certainly a carrot, though, we'll both agree. Um, I'll, save, I'll save stories of him until I get him on the podcast. But you make a good point about that sort of splitting up of friends. It's, I'd say, one of the hardest things about going to university that you're aware of, but you don't really understand until you go. Again, like you say, I feel extremely sorry for this year's year 12s and 13s who are going to be almost at the mercy of whatever they decide for results this year. It'll be very interesting to see how people get split up and indeed what the future looks like for grades and for students and for the exams process because I don't think they can keep it the same having had now two years of COVID-based results. Mm. I think it definitely will probably maybe bring back the AS levels so then people have something more than GCSE grades to be judged off but I also think coursework and things that aren't just purely memory and exam based will be definitely the way forward. I know that we, for our exams, which I'll talk about in a moment, luckily I found out today all of mine are going to be open book, which is 
very nice to have but it's also very very different to what you've been taught up to now it's almost having to adjust for a completely different style of exam so how I think and I don't know about you how do you think that could be applied to sort of secondary schools because I think that should be more of a thing there should be more open book style teaching there should be more of what we have at Cambridge of small classes you discuss rather than just regurgitate information no I completely think that's the way and I think coursework again I mean my friends for ancient history um, GCSE and A level had to sit like monitored coursework where they'd done all the prep but there was just written in front of teachers to make sure people weren't cheating or copying off each other and I think that's definitely a way forward and also things like sick days snow days are completely out the windows people are gonna miss less learning because now everyone can just say oh you're not well oh you can't come into school the work's on teams the work's on zoom we'll see you there so covid has brought quite a lot of positives even though it's quite detrimentally affected maybe two to three years of school kids I've mentioned before on him I'm actually quite a fan of online lectures and being able to go back and access the information at a later date and you make some very fair points about the sort of pluses and minuses of the whole situation it'll just be interesting to see where things go from now they introduced for our year there's been a bit of a not a scandal but talk about the fact that there's a no policy for mitigation this year and people are having to do you know third year dissertation and final exams without a safety net but for us as first years because we're not in clinical courses they're giving us uh, automatic progression which is helpful to have as a fallback and it seems like we've almost lucked out because this is our new normal and we're still being mitigated for and it's quite an interesting it's interesting how covid and how the university system and how the exam system is affecting different years differently Mm, i mean thinking about exams i had my meeting with my director of studies the other day and i did say to her the last formal exam i sat was my gcse's so i am rather out of practice so i don't think that the formatting of exams is going to affect me i think the fact of being so so out of practice will affect me more we had an exam skills session today with one of the sort of course leaders for archaeology just because he's known to have written a exam structure for all undergraduate students and he asked us when was the last exam you did and we all said mocks but kind of also GCSEs and someone raised the very astute question of so how do we revise for university which was very fair and you're right we haven't done anything official since our GCSEs which is a rather stressful prospect but luckily I don't know about you but my director of studies has been fantastic in sort of reassuring me that apparently it's very difficult to outright fail at university even at Cambridge Mm, yes I think my department as a whole has been wonderful they've decided they're not even going to class the first years this year so you'll just get a flat mark and I mean you'll know what class that should have been but it takes a lot of the stress off not having to be defined not having to be ranked amongst your classmates talking about sort of rankings and being ranked amongst your classmates I wanted to ask you about college roles and about different officers of student unions because I know you were going to apply this year to be our ENTS representative was it and you're thinking about doing things like that in future what do you think about almost mixing college academic life and college extracurricular life because there's extracurriculars for one thing completely outside of it but 
doing something like a college officer's role would tie you even further into the life of Robinson College. What made you want to do that? What do you want to do with that in future years? I think it's very interesting. And I think it's everyone this year is doing a wonderful job given the circumstances. And I think one of the real benefits about Cambridge is the collegiate system and the fact that you are your own community within a large community that is the university. So I think it's almost like its own little school. I mean, boarding school stereotypes are thrown around in Cambridge like no one's business. And you really do see that. It is like its own little boarding school. So I think you want, it's almost like being a little senior prefect in the school. It's quite nice to have. It's nice to just have a little bit of a say in what goes on and kind of understand the runnings of the college a bit better. It's a, it's a, the collegiate system, as you say, I think is absolutely brilliant because we have, obviously there's inter-college rivalries, plenty of camfest posts about Robinson being essentially one of the worst, but then you know that at the end of the day, if anyone with the word Oxford in their Instagram bio raised their head, they're going to be facing the force of the United Colleges. It's a fantastic system. I think more places should have it almost. It does feel like... You end up being a part of the university, yes, and you have the credentials for Cambridge University. But I don't know about you, I'd say I am more of a Robinsonian than a Cambridge student, first and foremost. And I think college is so important in your experience, because, I mean, you hear all the Cambridge stereotypes, but at least at Robinson, you don't really see them rear their heads that much. We've been known, I know there's plenty of jokes about us being the college that everyone gets pulled to, which has some element of truth. I applied directly. I know some people did, some people didn't. But you really find that those stereotypes sort of almost melt away the moment you actually arrive. I have met, I think, two people who fit the stereotypes and they weren't even in our college. They were at the boathouses. I, I think that's a really important part of not just Cambridge because it's easy to get very... Cambridge focused in this debate and I know that's one of the issues with this podcast is it has a lot of Cambridge talk but I think that needs to be a system at more universities is you have people in their flats and you get very close to them but it seems that we're one of the sort of few universities where there is that proper college system where you've got the big broad university you are a student of this university this is where you're going to graduate from this is what you're representing when you publish something but on a smaller level having a college that's not just, oh, I happen to be eating and sleeping here with a group of people that I'll only talk to my flatmates, but it's properly like, I hesitate to say a college family, but there's a real, it's a cohort. It completely is. And being the freshers of the COVID-19 generation, a college is so much better than halls of residence because I'd say I've met a good proportion of the first years in our college just because you're all integrating, you're all spending time in the cafe, time in the bar, and there's plenty of chances to meet people who aren't in your household. Whilst in halls of residence, I mean, there was so much stuff in the news in September about the security and the COVID breaches and just how poorly the universities were treating them because universities are dealing with thousands of students whilst colleges deal with only hundreds. Now, I know that a part of you getting to know a good proportion of the freshers is because I know that we both like a good drink, perhaps you more so than me, in the college bar or the JCR or the college restaurant or the college balcony or town or the rooms. It's obviously an important part of socialising that people don't really talk about is whether you're drinking or not, being in those environments is one of the places where you get to meet people as a fresher 
And that's a sort of aspect of lifestyle that I think many people listening to this will know about, either because they've been a student or they are currently a student, is the fact that whether or not you drink, being in environments where people do drink is usually a place where people get to know each other because of the shared bonding over the cheap alcohol in the Cambridge supermarkets. But obviously that's not the only place where you get involved and you get to meet people. And as I said at the start, you're very into your theatre. I know that you were at least in one production at the start of this term. So why don't you tell us a bit about the Cambridge theatre scene? Because the thing that people might know if they know Cambridge is Footlights and the comedy group, the improv group. But tell us a bit about the stuff you're interested in and the theatre you've been doing and what that experience has been like in light of COVID as well. Well... Cambridge Theatre was probably one of the biggest things that made me apply to this university because it is huge. The stuff you can do here is immense. I mean, I'm a big musical theatre fan. Musical theatre is what I tend to focus on in drama. And when I got pulled to Robinson, I was doing a bit of research, looking at the alumni. And one of the people who wrote my favourite musical were, I think, five or six years above us at Robinson. The musical six, I mean, a lot of people might already know this, musical six was written as a fringe show last minute to go with the Musical Theatre Society up to Edinburgh. And then obviously the rest is history. It got flown onto the West End and then straight to Broadway. And it is very successful. So I think that itself is an accolade of how good Cambridge Theatre can be. And obviously I tried my best to throw myself into it. And it it was hard because, I mean, I've never filmed a video audition in my life until September. And then all of a sudden you're auditioning for things over camera rather than in person. It's really different to what you know. But I tried my best. I managed to get into a few things. I did the Footlights Freshest Smoker um, about two nights before the second national lockdown kicked in. And in the lockdowns, it's obviously not great. But as things start to pick up again... We, I managed to get into a few shows that should have been on in Lent term and then obviously all of them got cancelled and it's been really hard watching these people who worked so hard to get these shows pitched because to get a show on at the theatre requires so much work before you even start actually like rehearsing so it's really quite heartbreaking to watch all this hard work go to waste because there has been shows that were put on for Michaelmas got cancelled because of the first lockdown put on in Lent and cancelled again and have had to pitch a third time to then get rejected for Easter term. It's really quite cutthroat, but it's also so, so wonderful. I mean, the people I've met there are some of the most lovely people in Cambridge as a whole. I mean, I went to the Musical Theatre Society's coffee and a catch-up in maybe the second week of Michaelmas term. And it was so nice. I mean, I was the only fresher there, but everyone was so, so welcoming. It was 2 p.m. and you were right. We did start drinking espresso martinis as the coffee part of the catch-up, but it helped. Everyone was so, so nice. Um, um, more musical theatre-wise, I was meant to be in the production of Astrid, which would have been in week three of Lent. Um, I was also in the Winter Showcase. That was online. I think online things have been a godsend for people in Cambridge this year. Um, And then finally, the Musical Theatre Society's gala, which should have been in week six, has very, very luckily been moved to the 19th of June. So that is still going ahead. And I have been assistant choreographer on that, which has been so, so much fun. And I've met so many new people and it's so wonderful. Very nice. You say you were assistant choreographer. I was going to touch on the fact that I know you've been involved in the performance aspect of things, but 
Cambridge and I'm assuming most universities really cover a broad range of things that you can get involved in one of our friends Dylan in Robinson is very much more on the directing side of things and has great ideas for how to actually stage a performance you like getting involved I know in sort of everything particularly the actual being involved and being on stage and acting plenty of people who like acting or like to be in the orchestras or like to do the lights and the tech I used to do in GCSE and A level and I might have to get involved when theatre opens back up in doing the special effects makeup and stuff it's it's a really holistic sort of approach to theatre the students do everything pretty much and it's really nice to see that as you say as tough as it is to see things get cancelled and as really truly just awful that is for the people who work so hard on it at least there's still things going on in keeping that sort of scene alive and I'm assuming and hoping that it will mean things just come back with an even bigger bang next year when sort of lockdown is eased and theatre can go ahead as normal it'll be very interesting to see how theatre survives this and how it sort of brings in new people and how people keep it going because obviously that's been one of the big fears for people on a broader sense in things like the West End and stuff, the death of theatre or the impact of the arts of COVID. So it's really great to hear from someone who's so deeply and passionately involved in it that the Cambridge theatre scene is still, as much as it may not be in its greatest state because of the restrictions, it's still going strong. And there are still people like you who are talking so passionately about it and wanting to continue things. I'm assuming you'll be staying involved in that as much as you can next year, assuming things are all open again. Yeah, I cannot wait to see the Cambridge theatre scene in full force. I've, I mean, I've only managed to go and see about two shows in person, but the stuff I've seen online is wonderful and how people adapt to the circumstances that are thrown at them really quite last minute shows that should have been in week four got moved and completely adapted to be radio shows or purely online and I think it's so so impressive but I cannot wait to be on a stage with about 40 people and not have to stand two meters away from them it'll be really great to see and obviously we'll be in the front row watching it I'm hoping the bit I want to get involved in as much as I find learning lines and things difficult. The bit that appeals to me of Cambridge is the footlights and the comedy side of things. I know you've been there when I've debuted various ukulele songs of varying quality. (laughs) And I'm still trying to write those because I think being a part of that group and being a part of that scene seems like it would be a really great experience, not just in terms of learning and developing skills, but in terms of the people you meet, as you're saying. It's very competitive. Obviously, a lot of people want to do it, but it seems, at least from the outside, like there's still plenty of opportunities for people. And it's not a case of if you don't get this show, you're not getting anything, you're blacklisted. It's just there are different opportunities for different people. Oh, completely. I mean, I don't think I met a single fresher who didn't get at least one rejection in that probably first week being in Cambridge. It is so competitive, but once you get in and once you start warming up and becoming more confident, it becomes so much more easier to be involved and to feel like confident to audition for a role that you might have not considered for yourself before. It's honestly so wonderful. And I guess as tough as rejection is, it does just go to show that there is quality here this isn't just some you know secondary school thrown together production that no one was really invested in it's a proper it is a proper theatre company it's a scene that people get involved in because they're passionate and because there's real talent there and people work hard and work together and so hopefully next year we'll be able to see that come to the fore again i know there have been some online shows as much as i haven't caught many of them i did watch the 
footlight improv comedy thing on facebook and that was very good and cambridge has such a wide range of things there's the footlights there's regular theater there's musical theater there's the drag shows which i haven't watched yet but i feel if venues open back up that could be an absolutely brilliant night out with people there's a real breadth and depth of things to do and to see and to get involved in on every level and it's just fantastic that that's such a sort of integral part of the town and the university i don't know about you but when i went for the open days at the sort of student talks one of the things they said was the theater life in cambridge is one of its sort of greatest strengths and one of the things that sets it aside most from other universities because there's a show pretty much every week almost there's more than one show every week i think when everything's open you could easily there's probably at least at least at the weekends probably six shows on because there's like almost every college has a performance space robinson has an indoor and an outdoor theater there's the main theater in town the adc where some of the larger shows are put on so one of the main events of the year unfortunately is only a virtual read through this year but it's the footlights panto which is normally at the end of michaelmas term and that is always sold out huge production so so funny it's just amazing and i just think the quality of the shows the amount of like it's quality and quantity and i just don't know what else you could ask for who knows maybe in a couple of years we'll be saying the name charlotte dargan in the same way that we talk about uh simon bird or joe thomas she was an alumni from Cambridge while she was in the footlights. It'll be fantastic to see where things go from here. And obviously we're very excited to see where it takes you as well, because it's something you're clearly passionate about. And as, as you said, it's not a career potent so much that you'd want specifically, but it's something that you like doing and that you'd probably like to continue for at least a long old time. Especially because as you become more senior throughout the university, you'll be able to then be the one doing more leading and directing and helping the freshers and really just offering an experience that you've been offered, hopefully with more venues being physically open. And I will be going at it with full throttle because I've missed a year. A year of online theatre is not a real year of theatre. I have a whole year to make up in my next two years. So honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. A production a week... I think that's doable. Just watch my Facebook and you'll probably find out what I'm doing. It's spam posted with production posts. We'll have to see if the geography department agree quite as much that it's doable. <laughs> I think that, though, is a good place to wrap up on the theatre front. It's a brilliant community. It's a brilliant part of Cambridge and it's something you're fascinated with and involved in and it's great to see that it's still flourishing and growing and bringing in new talent from the freshers despite all the circumstances. Now, I thought we'd link to the sort of more serious part of this week's discussion of the news. And you said you had a good link about it talking from the theatre experience. So do you want to tell us a bit about how sort of the Cambridge nightlife affects you as a student and why it's important to look at now in the context of everything going on this week with uh, Sarah Everard? Mm. So I am originally from Newcastle and moving to Cambridge, Cambridge is, apart from bike theft, a very, very safe city. But even then, I remember in maybe week one or week two of term, I had just met some theatre people and I was going to watch one of their shows on my own. And Cambridge Theatre is known for finishing quite late. And I think the show finished at like 11 o'clock at night. And I remember thinking, I was walking and I didn't have a bike yet. So I was like, I don't really want to have to walk all the way through town and through 
a really quite dark walkway back to our college so I was like I rang some friends who I knew were in town but none of them were free none of them could walk me home so I ended up getting Uber because I didn't want to walk home in the dark in one of the safest cities in the countries and I just think that speaks mountains for what it is to be a woman and how difficult and scary it is to be alone at night when it just shouldn't be it's one of those things where as much as Cambridge is renowned for its architecture and you know in the daytime it's brilliant seeing all the cobbled streets and the grand architecture at night for anyone and I'm a guy I I don't have the same sort of experiences that obviously many female students will be having and many are calling to light at the moment it's scary in the dark cobbled streets and high-walled brick buildings on single lane sort of alleyways it isn't a place where you feel exactly seen and I guess as you're saying it's a lot scarier when you're a woman and there's experiences and there's news that sort of would suggest that perhaps you're not safe and I wonder if you could sort of tell us a bit about almost the female student experience in Cambridge because as much as I can say it's scary in the dark I'm also not in the same news stories almost I'm not in the same statistics I'm not someone who can accurately comment on that in a way that perhaps you might be able to well I rem- when this news story broke I remember one of the things that vividly came to my head was in our freshers week they said especially girls do not walk back the usual and quickest way to college come and speak to us and we'll show you a way back that is fully lit and in the clear and again that just proves the point it's so so scary and just you feel so vulnerable like you could be walking fully dressed in black like not showing any skin and you would still feel vulnerable and scared purely because you're a woman on your own and of course men don't feel that fear but it is it's terrifying just because you don't know what could happen to you and especially in a new city it really is a worrying thing I know that's been one of the big differences where I think I've most accurately almost seen my privilege at play because it's important to acknowledge where you're privileged in life because it helps you be more self-aware and more empathetic. The fact that our female friends in college will ask me or they'll ask someone else to go with them even just to the shops. They won't want to go into the street alone, especially because there's quite a large homeless presence in Cambridge and people have had sort of run-ins or fear almost whereas I've been there at sort of one o'clock in the morning too full of energy and I've gone for a run in shorts and a t-shirt and that's something that I know some of our friends could never consider and it's it's odd to see from the outside that kind of difference between things and that kind of ingrained sense of danger and of needing safety and obviously that's not something that's going to have been alleviated this week I'll just cover the point for anyone who didn't know which I think everyone will but this week we had the new story of Sarah Everard a 33 year old woman uh, she'd been reported missing previously that had been on social media people had been sharing it on snapchat because of the fact that she was fully bright clothed she was on the phone to her boyfriend or to her family she was caught on camera going into a shop so well lit public place and she'd gone missing Uh, it was found then human remains were found that were thought to be hers uh, and tragically I believe those have been confirmed and a police officer has actually been arrested and taken in 
under suspicion of murdering her and it's really created a big public debate we will both know about from seeing online and seeing in the news of some people trying to troll and trying to stir up controversy because of this idea of not all men becoming a statement that's caused a lot of outrage recently because of people suggesting that they shouldn't be sort of taken as being a part of it and I think the best way I saw that debate summed up was the fact that the figure is about I think 0.16% of men or something actually commit violent sexual crimes because we can't avoid the fact that it is a serious thing as much as I try to keep this podcast PG Um, but the phrase for a woman's point of view we know it's not all men but we don't know which men so we remain aware of all men and can you tell us about how that sort of sort of hits home for you more than it ever could for me or for another man talking about the situation yeah i mean i think i saw a tiktok which had a really good like analogy of how to consider this if someone gave you a box of maltesers there were 10 maltesers in there but told you one of them was poisoned you would be wary of all 10 of them you wouldn't just eat nine and assume you weren't going to pick the poison form and that's exactly the point you're making you have to be aware of everyone around you and i think with all the girls i know the knowing to ring someone or text someone your whereabouts if it's dark or you're on your own carrying your keys between your fists wearing bright colored clothing is all commonplace and so deeply ingrained in you from such a young age when it just shouldn't be it shouldn't be that way you shouldn't feel threatened by a man walking past you you're perfectly right no one should feel scared it doesn't matter your gender or your race or your ethnicity or your age no one deserves to feel scared going out and i think that's one of the big takeaways that people need to take when they're debating this topic i think debate around serious issues is an important thing it makes sure all voices are heard it makes sure that you know the the beliefs of one group don't outweigh the beliefs of another but in a situation just such as this the most important things to be aware of are one we should be grieving for sarah everard we should be taking this time to think about her family and to hold them in our prayers which we'll touch on in a moment with the vigil and the police news but really this isn't a debate about one group being more important than another and it never should be as some people online are trying to make it this should just be if people feel unsafe things should be taken to make them feel safer because everyone deserves to have the security of it because i know one of the other big things that we'll have seen on social media that many people will have done is posts about what can men do to make women feel more safe and you look at it from a male perspective and you do realize that some of your behaviors that are completely normal things like you know walking along the street at night if i'm faster than a girl's walking pace that's not something i'm actively trying to do but things like how examples of behavior such as that can appear scary or induce nerves at first sight or first glance which is a very fair point to make things like i think the ones they've said are bringing down hoods if you're walking near a woman on her own um if you're jogging or running behind someone at night saying i'm coming past on the left or something like that to let them know you're there rather than sort of shocking them uh obvious one that they say is if you see someone harassing someone step in which is admittedly i think in some cases is easier said than done there's a lot of 
fear conversely with things like mugging and stuff but it does seem like a lot of these behaviors are things that we just don't realize could be interpreted as being a threat almost and i wonder if you sort of agree with those steps that those are enough to reassure people or if there are more things that people should be doing or if really this is a scenario where no one's ever going to feel completely safe and we have to be aware of that and we just have to take the steps we can to not be scary i completely agree with you just need to not be scary because i mean walking alone in the dark is going to be scary that's a fact but i think the increased vulnerability you feel knowing all of the stories the sarah everard story and the numerous stories that have happened before her make that fear so much greater so yes no hoods if you're going to overtake you could even cross to the other side of the road and overtake on the pavement that way and just being more aware of how threatening you could be perceived to be because as you said 0.16 percent are actually predatory but we don't know which 0.16 percent that is and that's what's key to be identified and even just if you know your female friend is going home on her own or even in like a small group just to text me if you get home safe just make sure they're safe if they're going home on their own offer to walk them home just anything you can do like the little things will make someone feel so much safer i think that's important not just for women though it's for everyone no one should be walking home on their own pretty much at night like everyone should have someone who's aware of where they are we've got phones nowadays that can let us actively whatsapp someone our location every three minutes if you set that setting on i know you and i will both know from some of our slightly drunken nights that i'll offer to walk friends back to their colleges just because it's better to have a group and it's one of those things where we just sort of need to be more proactive in making sure that people are aware of people are and i know it's scary even me hearing it as a story and not being female the fact that sarah everard essentially quote unquote did everything right is what some people say you know she had the bright clothes she was on the phone someone and something like this still happened and it's scary and terrifyingly and sadly we can't ever fully mitigate for the behaviors of a few psychopaths essentially i'll use the word but the best we can do is make sure people are aware of their locations and people feel like they have people looking out for them is i think an important thing the question is though do you think obviously as you say this is not by any means the first story of its nature it's arguably just the one in recent memory that has had the most coverage and whether that's because of the scenario or because of the perpetrator is an issue that perhaps we don't want to think about almost we don't want to think that this is only newsworthy because it was a police officer but what i want to ask you is do you think it's going to change anything in terms of the law or in terms of people's behavior or do you really think it's just another tragedy that's going to be a new cycle and done i mean short-term change definitely the amount of, I think, profound conversations I've had with my male friends about this issue is really very promising. And I mean, CAMFES, a Facebook page that Cambridge University uses with anonymous confessions, has had posts that have A, been talking quite explicitly about experiences of a sexual assault and making people listen and understand the issues. But there's also been the other side. Was, I think there was one published yesterday saying that 
a woman went for a run in Grandchester and saw people put their hoods down, people run up on the left and like say they were going to do that and just generally taking note of what was in the media and actually acting on it, which I think is so, so important. Obviously, though, one of the other big issues about this whole thing, you've said about calling out male friends and talking to them. And that's been, again, one of the big points of discussion is call out your male friends. If you're a guy, call out your male friends when they make jokes or comments or moves, essentially, that are just not appropriate and put someone in some kind of emotional or physical danger. But obviously, the other big talking point has been about this vigil and about protest and about the new police powers because of the fact that uh, an official vigil was organised, it was put forward, it was told it can't go ahead because of COVID rules and so that one took place online but people still gathered in Clapham Common near where Sarah went missing in order to express their grief and their sympathy and their support and to share their own stories of assault and things and that being broken up forcefully by the police because of covid rules and now a new police bill being put into place or enacted or proposed about increased police powers to disrupt protests and to stop protests as they see fit which some people believe is going to be too much authority almost for the police or it's going to be too easy to break up what is a legitimate and peaceful and safe and honestly deserved protest just because it could cause public offence. I think one thing I saw pointed out about it was that by some of the wording you could theoretically say that because you looked at someone funny it counted as you trying to affect them and you could be victim to these new police rules. So what do you think about that as a student, as a person who might engage politically in the future and indeed as someone who's going to be sharing empathy and sympathy and the experience of Sarah and women like her? Well, I think the police response on Saturday night was atrocious. And I think when you see it in comparison to the range of celebrations that occurred after that football match in Scotland and the police response to that, it makes it all the more appalling. One, the footballers started off drunk, rowdy, all over the streets and the police just stood back and let it happen meanwhile a peaceful vigil for sarah everard only became violent once the police decided to intervene which they did not need to do because it was peaceful and not causing anyone any harm i i mean online i don't know about you but online i've seen some people speak about not all men but then being shot down by a good 50 comments. Whereas I think Rangers celebrating in the street was far less meaningful and far less necessary, yet the police did nothing. I know, obviously, Cressida Dick, her resignation was called for, and I think she's officially said she's not going to be stepping down because she wants to be there through this, which we have to give her, you know, if she wants to do right, that's a good thing that's obviously the better option than wanting to tear everything to the ground but it really does seem like everything's almost a powder keg at the moment and things are destined to get worse almost before they get better in terms of interactions with the police or opinions towards them and this protest bill Mm, i think people's opinions of the met police have gone significantly down but the issue 
I have with Cressa Dick resigning is while she is responsible, it is her police force, I doubt she was responsible for the decisions made on the ground on that night. And also, in terms of successes for Cressida Dick, they would all be male. And I think, as a woman, to step back and give such a deeply female-rooted issue over to a man probably isn't the best idea. I think a woman who can empathise with such problems is better to deal with them. The question is, where do you think we go next from here? Because this this protest bill is obviously going to be a big discussion point for now. Whether it's a big change or not is different because people always have very sort of severe reactions to any new law or any change in the law or any amendment because of the potential for it. But obviously the effects are often not quite as great. But I guess, do you think now the step is for this bill to come into place or do you think it needs more discussion or do you think it needs to be scrapped entirely? I think this bill coming into place will not stop any form of protest. It will just make the response and the outcome of them far more violent. I mean, we were right in the core of the pandemic when the Black Lives Matter movement began and that did not stop protests from occurring. They just turned violent because police were debating whether it was legal and all of that sort of stuff. Because obviously, protest plus a pandemic is never going to be good. But the people organising the protests are ensuring they were safe. I mean, I was looking at the Newcastle Black Lives Matter Facebook post and they were like, you must bring PPE, you must try your best to social distance. But then the weekend after, there were anti-mask protesters in the same place and nothing was done. It's the exact same issue. I've had some people I've heard who have said that this whole situation has been hijacked for a political motivation and these are same people who said that the Black Lives Matter movement was hijacked for political means but it's not that it's political that it's the issue it's when such movements are hijacked by an extremist minority that it becomes an issue I don't think anyone can honestly sit there and say women deserve to feel scared or women deserve violence against them or anything like that or that the police should never disrupt a protest whatsoever because there will be some cases where things will be violent and you need that response for the greater public safety. But I think at least now, the main point to make is the fact that this shouldn't be a point of contention between people. Honestly, it should be a point of unity and of sympathy and of support for Sarah and her family and every woman who's had to go through something like that and indeed every man who's had to go through something like that and overall just people who have been victim to violence whether of a physical sexual emotional mental nature rather than about this protest was bad and went against coronavirus laws and we need to stop protests in the future I honestly think we almost need to take a step back continue to have the conversations that you've said you've been having and that we need to have and to have some time to grieve and to reflect and to think about whether or not this is something that we should be fighting over honestly i mean the statistic going around on social media at the minute is 97 percent of women have experienced some form of sexual assault and i was having this discussion with my mum and she was like oh have you experienced anything like that i was like I don't think so. And she's like, well, have been catcalled? I was like, oh, yeah. And the way I said it, I was just like, for a girl that's standard, like, you're almost excluded if you haven't been. And that is just 
so wrong and it shouldn't happen and I'm pretty sure when it happened to me I was 15 and the guy was probably in his mid to late 30s and there's something wrong there and it says malance for the society as a whole really but I think this is a time for reflection to reflect on your own experiences and your own behaviours and to learn from events that have happened and I think that's a fantastic point to end on we know it's not all men but we also know that most women have experienced something like this and that many people have experienced something like this whether or not they've spoken about it or whether or not they view it as normal it would feel bad of me now to end this podcast with my usual joke about things not all being bad and it not being hell on earth because this is a serious topic and this is something that we should all take time to reflect on whether you're a man reflecting on your privilege whether you're a woman reflecting on your experience or whether you're a person which is what we should all be trying to be and reflecting on how in future you can combat this behavior and you can support those in your life that you want to keep safe because everyone deserves to feel safe so on that note firstly i think i'd just like to say the odds of them listening to this are very slim but to sarah and to her family wherever you may be sarah however your family may be doing we you have our sympathy you have our support and we are sorry for what happened to you you were taken too soon in a way that was abhorrent to anyone who has experienced any kind of violence or any kind of sexual assault or harassment as you've pointed out the statistic 97 percent of people have i know pretty much all of my female of the friends i think have experienced something like it and like you say it's been normalized the cat calling is just something you should ignore but no it's something we should be able to combat so to anyone who's had to deal with that again you have our sympathy you have our support and we hope things will change and that you will not have to experience something like that again realistically most people will and that's saddening and that's disgusting almost but the best we can hope for now is that things will hopefully get better and that this behavior that has been normalized will not be normalized or it will have i wouldn't say it's been normalized per se fully but that there will be more of a stand against it when it's happened and when it's witnessed so to anyone who's experienced like that we are sorry but we hope it will get better and you are supported and you are not alone and as much as you may not feel it right now hopefully you are safe so as much as it's a bit of a bleak note to end it all on thank you so much for joining me charlotte if you want to plug your socials or anything you can otherwise i'll allow you to just say goodbye no it's all right thank you so much for having me thank you for coming um hopefully we'll be back next week with a new guest hopefully the news won't have got any more bleak and we'll be able to discuss something a bit lighter because this week has been a more serious and a more heavy week than the podcast up to now but it's something that needs to be discussed as a male host i would be not doing justice to these situations if i didn't talk about them and if i didn't reflect on my own part in them and experiences and the fact that i have privilege and if i didn't have a female guest on to at least share some experience and to to talk honestly about a topic that is very serious and isn't on a lot of people's minds so saying i hope you enjoyed this week's episode would be a bit of a stretch but i hope it was something to you i hope the conversation was honest enough to allow you to reflect and to be honest with yourself and with your friends and with your peers we'll see you next week thank you for joining me and yeah that is episode four of l on earth finished thank you very much 
and goodbye.